SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And good afternoon. Welcome in. It's Fantasy Sports Today here on Sports Grid as we head toward the weekend. What an exciting night it was in baseball and basketball and, of course, in hockey as well. We got plenty to get to here on the next two hours of the show, even getting you ready for the fantasy football season. Lots of great interviews to bring to you. We'll also preview the big NASCAR race coming up on Sunday as they return to Daytona, not for the 500, but for another race as well. And my co-host, as always, Joe Pizapia. Joe, it's a a uh, happy Friday here on the show for sure. Uh, baseball back in South Florida for the first time in a few months. Happy about that. <laughs> and uh, and certainly uh, some good performances that we'll get into last night, including one player in Major League Baseball who just has a knack for hitting multiple home runs. Kind of strange. Yeah, he sure does. But happy ballpark day to you, Craig Mish. I know you've been waiting for this even longer than you thought you had to originally. So it must feel good. It's going to be a big time weekend for Craig getting to go to see baseball live in person. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. And yes, a huge night for Mookie Betts, which we're going to get into. It was a short slate of games, but it didn't stop anybody from scoring runs yesterday. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I think so for sure. Let's get into it with uh, our top stories in fantasy and reality for uh, for today, for this Friday, and from yesterday as well. We'll start off with Mookie Betts hitting those three home runs for the Dodgers. An unstoppable lineup, an unstoppable pitching staff. A really tough team to beat at this point, and they have started off like they should. I guess the Cubs are the only hotter team in baseball, as you, Darvish, nearly pitched a no-hitter yesterday. And by nearly, meaning a guy goes six innings now, it's like almost a no-hitter. Uh, uh, Dame Lillard, wow, he didn't get 50 yesterday, but he did put up, I believe it was 41 or 42. Um, Blazers get in that play-in game as they just edge the Nets, 134 to 133. Probably the most entertaining NBA game that we've had so far with Lillard taking shots at half court, no doubt about that. Also, the by the way, the 2021 NBA season looks like it's going to start in January. In order to get in another full season, they're going to have to start there, and certainly that's uh, up in the air as well. And then an interesting story from the NFL, Joe, is uh, the Seahawks end up cutting one of their rookie cornerbacks, not quarterbacks, cornerbacks, because essentially uh, he tried to get a little bit slippery and have somebody visit him. Uh, Not not the smartest move in the world, but that's where we'll start off today, Joe. So uh, have at it. Uh, Interesting choice of words there. Uh, Yes. Uh, And and even one so far as to get some sort of attire for them to dress up in to sneak in as though they were working for the team. Uh, I know 2020 has been a crazy time. This story is so 2020 right here. And I don't know how you could do this as a rookie. And and I'm sure if this person was a rookie was drafted in the first round, maybe there just would have been a suspension. But unfortunately for this rookie, it's the end of his days in the Seahawks and has to make you wonder was it worth it, kid? Was it really worth it to go that far? I mean, I just don't understand how people can get so close to their dreams sometimes and make such poor decisions, thinking that they're going to be sneaky, think they're going to away with it. You're not getting away with anything. It's 2020. Everyone's watching everything. This is the way things are. And uh, going back to baseball for a moment, if I may, great performance from you, Darvish, last night. We talked about the Cubs yesterday, whether or not they had a title run left in them. I don't think they're going to win a title. 
but they're certainly looking like a playoff team. And I think you Darvish is a big reason why his second half last year was absolutely brilliant. Whatever has clicked for him, obviously has continued to take hold, Craig. And I got to tell you, this is something that uh, maybe, you know, this time last year, we were still kind of questioning, is this a uh, new version of you Darvish for real? And I think the answer now, when we could sit back a year later is absolutely yes. Yeah, no, I, I look, I look at Darvish and I see the same guy now that I saw with the Texas Rangers. And, and he looks like he has gone all the way back to being that guy. Remember so much went downhill for him. He was traded to the Dodgers and who knows, you know, maybe, maybe he, the, the Astros had some help against him. Who knows in the world series, regardless of that, but he looks like the guy that we saw a few years ago that essentially signed that big contract with the Cubs. And look, the Cubs have not made all of the smartest of moves, Joe. And it really is a testament to how well run that organization is when you can sign a guy like you Darvish and he struggles for almost a year and a half. Tyler Chatwood has not panned out. Jason Hayward certainly was not worth that money. But yet, Joe, the Cubs have been piecing it together now. And um, and look, you start off like the Cubs have. Think about this. If they play 500 ball the rest of the season, they're guaranteed to make the postseason with 16 teams in. So credit to them for getting off to the good start. Yeah, oh, look, they're definitely in the driver's seat right now in that division. Uh, Cincinnati, I think, will start to get more competitive. But uh, unless Christian Yelich starts to be Christian Yelich soon, it's uh, I don't know if there's enough time on the clock here for the Brewers, <laughs> to be honest with you. Even if Woodruff pitches well tonight, and even if that rotation continues to make some strides with Hauser and Lindblom, the Cubs right now look like the favorite in that division. And, and that's despite not having that closer role locked down early on in the year either. Yeah, uh, a couple of other quick news and notes, Joe. We'll get to it here. This was reported about an hour ago uh, that the Astros are going to have the Rookie of the Year back. Jordan Alvarez uh, activated from the 10-day injured list. And so I think uh, that is a big, big story, Joe, because as you saw and have seen, the Astros are really struggling both on the hitting side and the pitching side. And clearly this was the guy that carried them last year for the last two months of the season. So uh, he's been working at it. Their alternate training site. He's looked real good, but activated off the 10 day list and he'll be back in the lineup tonight. Yeah. Huge addition here. And uh, not just uh, literally, but figuratively as well for this lineup. You're also going to hopefully have Altuve and Springer back. So this could be the Astros at full strength for the first time in terms of lineup basically all year. And that is a dangerous thing. And there's time for the Astros to get right. Right now, they're kind of right around 500. This is a team, though, that if McCullers can pitch better, be a little bit more consistent, him and Granke at the top. We'll see how Verlander goes next week. He's supposed to throw a little bit, but don't hold your breath for him. I think there's still a lot of obstacles to go overcome here for the Astros. All right. We got plenty more to get to here on the show. We got fantasy standouts coming up next. And, of course, we got you until 2 o'clock Eastern here on the show. Every day, Sports Grid is live virtually 24 hours a day as we help you out with all kinds of fantasy and reality information. But who did what last night? Who were the standouts? We got you next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
Welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today with you here on Sports Grid. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. And I know, Joe, uh, this weekend another edition of Diamond Bets is coming your way, coming my way too. What do you got on the show coming up this weekend? Uh, we got some great fun here. We're going to have some deep dive stats with Matt Stryker. Uh, we've got uh, also some spectacular interviews with Justin Mason and the Welsh. We're going to talk dynasty. We're going to talk about the pleasant and not so pleasant surprises of the 2020 season thus far. And uh, of course, on Diamond Bets, we're always going to give you your baseball with a side of laugh. So check that out every Sunday right here on Sports Grid. All right, check it out this weekend here at SportsGrid, SportsGrid.com. Uh, okay, so now let's take a look at the fantasy standouts from Thursday night. Let's start off with Mookie Betts. He hits three home runs last night, and of course he now has seven on the season, but I think the staggering number here is that was the sixth time that Mookie Betts ended up hitting three home runs in a game. I mean, this guy's going to break the all-time record for most three home run games in Major League Baseball history. Crazy to say, but it's true. Uh, Hugh Darvish, seven innings pitched, one and run, 11 strikeouts. He picked up the win. We touched on them. Uh, wow, we've had JT Real Muto on this list three days this week, I think. And uh, why not? Two more home runs yesterday. He now has seven on the season. And so he is one off the pace of the NL home run lead with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. The Rays just piled it on the Boston Red Sox yesterday. The Red Sox actually used two different position pitchers in that game yesterday to get through. Hunter Renfro had three hits. He also hit two home runs. And now he has four on the year. Uh, also, Brandon Lau got in on the action. This is a really underrated player, by the way, uh, in baseball. Two hits. He has five home runs coming off the season that he did last year. It was really overshined because of some of the great rookie performances. But Lau, no doubt, can play. And then this was really good to see. Even though the Reds ended up losing, Nick Senzel, Joe, uh, hit his second home run. He drove in four runs. And he also had three hits. So clearly, we've touched on bets. We've touched on you, Darvish. Tampa Bay, Joe, all of a sudden has now started to really take charge, both offensively and pitching. And by the way, they haven't even gotten great performances yet. Morton's been on the injured list. Tyler Glass now, ah, like he's been okay. Uh, Rays are just a really good team. And with the way that the Red Sox are playing, who would have thought? But they're the team that everybody in that division is going to end up beating up on this year. Yeah, it doesn't get better for the Red Sox facing Garrett Cole tonight either. So uh, not exactly the way you want to start off your weekend. But you're right. The Rays are starting to get hot and get in this thing. And as I said earlier, when we were doing previews for shows, the Rays were a very important team to watch this year. This is a season potentially here with just the 60 games with the Red Sox being in the state that the Red Sox are in where they could really make some hay here and really make a strong playoff run. And who knows, maybe even play upset and get to a World Series, I think it's very possible. Now that pitching does have to get a little healthier for that to happen. We'll see what happens with Charlie Morton. But if Glasnow and Blake Snell can be at the top of this rotation, and you're going to get good performances out of guys like Lau, who you pointed out at the top of this order, hitting the two-hole most nights, has been very productive, also been very cost-effective in the daily fantasy format on DFS and FanDuel. Uh, you're actually really in a possibility here where you could get um, really uh, uh, some value with the Rays still. And uh, I'll tell you what, too, on top of which, uh, JT Real Muto, another guy also that uh, JT just hasn't stopped. And if you want to know why he's on this list every day, it's because the dude just has yet to stop his productivity. I mean, the guy is certainly showing you why he's going to cash in for a big time contract uh, heading up soon. There's no doubt about that. Uh, JT Real Muto has proven to be not only a great offensive catcher, but a great defensive catcher as well. And a great fantasy asset. And uh, do we expect him to be a 30 home run guy? No, probably not. But I'll tell you what, he is making his presence felt here without a doubt. So that is very important. And as we continue to move on here, 
uh, on the show and looking at not just Mookie Betts and how incredible that has been. But I will tell you this much. It is an incredible thing to uh, to behold right now how, again, good that Dodger team is. And uh, they beat up on Chris Paddock yesterday, who is a, a really good young pitcher. So as good as Paddock was that first time around with the Dodgers, it was not so good the second time. And I think you keep that in mind as you go. Uh, and you know what? Going back to the Phillies also, this is a huge weekend for them uh, because they are facing DeGrom here. The Mets are depleted. There's no doubt about that. You see the injury to McNeil. You see the injury here to uh, Robinson Cano, Ahmed Rosario banged up, Marcus Stroman gone. The Mets are very depleted, and we want to know what Met team is going to show up here. Is it going to be the one that scores one run for Jacob DeGrom and he gets a 2-1 loss? Uh, And if the Phillies are going to start to get right, I think they've got to do it now. It's been a very rough week for the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know if the pause in the season has hurt them, the bullpen, the combination of all of these things. But I will say this, the starting pitching hasn't been that bad. And today, Spencer Hauer is going to basically get another shot at it here. Uh, it's another tough assignment for him going up against Jacob deGrom. So, so far out of the gate, it's not been the easiest sense uh, for the Philadelphia Philly young uh, hurler. But Spencer Howard does have a lot of talent, and he is a guy that could go five innings tonight, maybe even six, uh, against this Met lineup, which the bottom of right now, you know, if you can get through that top of the Mets lineup here for, I would say, a turn or two, then you've got a good opportunity here to have a good start from Spencer Howard. He's got to get off to a good start here against the top of that order because the second part of this order, as depleted as the Mets are, Howard does have a legitimate shot tonight, at least to be competitive. All right, and uh, on top of that, Joe, the offense for one Major League Baseball team has basically been off the charts good, and that is the Baltimore Orioles. Who would have mm-hmm. thought this? 10-7 and seven on the season, 7-3 and three on the road. And look at some of the numbers for some of these players on the Baltimore Orioles. It's just out of control here. Hanser Alberto, 351, two home runs, nine runs driven in. Rio Ruiz, five home runs, 271 batting average, 11 runs driven in. How about their catcher, Pedro Severino? Where did this come from? Four home runs, 13 runs driven in, 333. Renato Nunez, he had a day off yesterday. He didn't need one, 318, four home runs, 13 RBIs. Jose Iglesias, his OBP is over 400. He's hitting 383. I haven't even mentioned Anthony Santander who also is having a good start. Joe, this doesn't seem sustainable in terms of record, and I get that, but the power and the batting averages for the Orioles are off the charts. They just swept the Phillies. Like, who saw this coming this year? No one. No, what a crazy story, right? First, they get pounded by the Marlins for a few straight days, and then they turn around and put that same hurting on the Phillies. And uh, we just talked about Nunez just yesterday. We were talking about hard hit rates. That, to me, is the least surprising guy on this list. Nunez, I think, is a power hitter in the middle of this order you can count on. And the fact that they've been able to do what they've done without their best player in Trey Mancini, because in my opinion, Trey Mancini is the best guy the Orioles have right now. Him missing this season because of cancer. I mean, the fact that this lineup can be as good as it's been for any stretch, even a small one, is really quite staggering. And I think it gives the Orioles a lot to think about going forward in 2021. How much do we want to put into this short season and evaluating these guys over 60 games? Who is going to be part of the future? Who is a trade chip? There's a lot of questions here that the Orioles have to figure out, Craig, because I imagine some of these bats can help some real playoff contenders. And I think the Orioles still realize they most likely are not a playoff contender. So where do you go from here if you're Baltimore? Yeah, it's a good question. I I don't know what their plan is going to be. Um, You know, uh, well, maybe I'll get Mike Elias, the general manager, to come on the show. And, and sort of explain it because I, I don't think that any team at this stage being over 500 can look at this season, Joe, and say, let's, let's, let's stop. You know, you're right. Um, 
you know, Miami in particular, just from their situation, and I would say that they're in a similar situation than Baltimore, I would say that uh, you're not going to see them playing Monte Harrison or Lewis Brinson or somebody. They're going to play the guys who are hitting, and they're going to play the guys who are winning because at the end of the season, Joe, they're still going to get a trophy, you know? Like, there's still a World Series to be given out. And if you're the Pirates, Joe, yes, they're done, okay? I mean, they're they're 4-13 and 13 or whatever it is. We get that. They're finished. But outside of them, like, everybody's still in it at this point. And I think that you kind of have to go for it if you are above 500 or you're showing that you have a chance to compete. So the dynamic of what's happening in baseball is interesting, and it's going to affect fantasy in a big way. Uh, Cardinals are expected back this weekend. And, uh, and look, they're going to fight, too. They're going to have to play a million doubleheaders. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Joe, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all doubleheaders, four days in a row, something insane like that. Uh, baseball season is going to be really interesting, I think, moving forward to see which teams actually get in. And I would say at the end of the year, I don't know if Miami and Baltimore are both going to get in. I can't sit here and say that that's going to happen. But there's a good chance one of them will. 16 teams. Yeah, I think I, the I think only other team that's out of it besides the Pirates, I think realistically you put the Tigers in that mix too. CJ oh, yeah, Crone injured, the way Boyd yeah. is out. That's, that's it. But I think those are the only two that you can legitimately say right now, done, no chance. I don't know if you want to throw the Red Sox on that pile quite yet, but they have a lot of talent I mean, in that probably, lineup. Probably so, but they're not going to – they're not going to – uh, throw a towel in at this stage, but they will. Right. You're right. They will at the deadline. They probably will. But you, you look at Baltimore. I mean, how can they just sit guys and not try? You can't do it. I mean, they, they have no, to fight. And, and it's it's a dynamic that's going to change the deadline to the trade deadline in two weeks as well. Uh, okay. Coming up next, we're going to have uh, Chris's update and then the NBA tip drill with Jeremy and Greg. Then we'll be back to talk about some pitchers in fantasy who may be better than their number suggests. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, Joe Pizapia here until 2 o'clock on the East. And coming up in just a few minutes, Andrew Erickson and Joe have a really interesting conversation about the 2020 fantasy football season. And so we're going to get to that in just a bit. A little bit later in the show, we preview the upcoming big race in Daytona, NASCAR style on Sunday. And also the top players in fantasy this season. Can they keep it going? We'll ask Gray Albright of Razball.com. But first, Joe, it's time to take a look at some pitching in 2020. And I think that most people understand what batted balls in play means for hitters. It basically means that not every stat that you see necessarily can indicate how good a player is, meaning that a player hits a ball a little bit harder or he's been unlucky. There's a chance that those hits may go up and the player may be a little bit better in baseball. But there's also a statistic for that in fantasy for pitchers, and it is FIP. It's called Fielding Independent Percentage. And I suppose let's give people an idea as to if they're watching for the first time or they don't know what that means necessarily and how that can be used to help you identify which pitchers should actually be better than they've looked. Yeah, fielder independent pet, uh, pitching is is a huge uh, important stat because ERA tells you only part of the story, Craig. It, you need to kind of dig a little bit deeper because sometimes there's certain things like the defense that don't work out or sometimes certain ballpark factors. There's There's deep stats that can overload you to the point where you can't think straight. But then there's simple ones where you could just look at a variance between ERA and fielder independent pitching and get a better idea of 
really whether or not a guy deserves the ERA that he has. And most of the time, these things are actually pretty in line. It's the variances that are really important and can potentially lead to some good trade target uh, trade target candidates as well. So the first guy on this list is Luis Castillo uh, of the Cincinnati Reds. And Castillo, if you look at the ERA, you go, oh man, he's ERA's around four. You know, maybe he's not having that great of a year. But if you look at the fielder independent pitching, it's just 1.98. So he's doing his part. The defense has let him down quite a bit here. And it makes Castillo potentially a, a really good buy low candidate because if you base what you saw last year in terms of the strikeout rate, it's always been strong. It's strong again this year. You know, the offense is pretty good. They miss Mustakis at the top of the season. So as the red season starts to go on, guys like Mustakis and Suarez start to heat up. I think that's going to be a good thing here. And this is a great opportunity for Luis Castillo uh, to really get in on this stock before it basically starts to marginalize a little bit closer to somewhere in that low to mid three ERA range. Yeah, and, and Castillo, to me, plays on a team that has the offense to back it up. So even if the CRA only comes down a little bit, you know he's going to win games with that Great offense point. that they have in Cincinnati, for sure. Uh, okay, so uh, the New York Mets are looking for any viable starting pitcher at this point, and Rick Porcello certainly is one that could fit the bill, Joe, because you know technically speaking, the Mets' defense isn't awful, and he does get a lot of ground balls. Uh, but his ERA sits at 5.68, and so the average person is going to go to the waiver wire on Sunday in their fantasy baseball league. They're going to look at Porcello. They're going to see he's making a start, and they're going to go, no way. But the underlying numbers may say a little bit differently. Yeah, and this is a guy, too, who historically in his career pitches to contact a little bit more than most, and the Mets' infield defense actually got much better with Andres Jimenez playing every day. Let's not lose sight of that with Cano out. He's been very good at second base. He's a very good defensive player. Definitely a plus there. And you look at the variance. This variance is huge when you're talking about Porcello. 5.68 compared to just 3.12. So, yeah, the ERA is absurd right now. You look at it and you go, oh, this guy's trash. He might have even been dropped. The last two starts against the Nationals of all teams have been pretty good. So if something is clicked, if he's getting more comfortable, if he's finally ramping up to speed, yes, Porcello's hits per nine are always going to be high. He's not a giant strikeout pitcher, but he could potentially help you out a little bit more. So if somebody dropped Porcello based on that ERA, you should pick him up based on the FIP. And then uh, finally, a uh, pitcher on the Texas Rangers, who I think is a prime candidate to get traded, whether he pitches good or bad. The Rangers just don't seem to be in it uh, this year. And uh, I, I don't know how you can blame them. They, they kind of struck out on a lot of the big targets that they had and didn't end up with much. Now, Minor Joe, Mike Miner is going to have to pitch better than what we've seen to get any kind of return back, but he's going to be gone anyway. So you know Texas is moving him in two weeks. 5.49 earn run average, but his FIP is 3.68, so perhaps he could be better. But, Joe, he's going to have to be better pretty soon if the Rangers are going to get anything back for him. He is, but I guess you could also make the argument, is he healthy? And if he's healthy enough to pitch... Somebody might take a chance. I mean, you look at some of these rotations, and they've been absolutely obliterated. You make a great point. How many left-handed pitchers are even out there? Yesterday was Southpaw Day, right? And the other day on this program, they were trying to name some of the better Southpaws. There aren't many. So if he is a healthy left-handed pitcher, regardless of whatever the ERA is, I think an organization looked at that FIP and says, let's take a chance on Mike Miner. And if he ends up on a better team, that could be really good for his fantasy value rest of the season. Yeah, it really could. And so those are some potential pitchers to target, maybe on the waiver wire specifically, because I got to tell you, uh, some people definitely are not rostering Porcello, and Mike Miner could have very well been cut by someone Castillo probably owned, but maybe a potential trade for those of you who are 
playing in an active league. None, none of my leagues seem to be wanting to trade very much, but uh, I don't blame them. They just want to get through this season. I understand that. Uh, all right, fantasy football season is coming. Of course, we're uh, getting closer here, three days away from really having training camp out there and players on the field. So we thought it'd be a good time to really give you a nice preview today here on the show as to what to expect. So uh, we're going to have Andrew Erickson coming up next on the show. And then Ken Ryan a little bit later. Those are the two primary interviews for us in fantasy football today. One of them is coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, Joe Pizapia, and we're going to have an interview coming up with Andrew Erickson, where Joe and Andrew break down a lot of tight end conversation. You know what, Joe? This week was not Shark Week. This week was tight end week, in my opinion, really, honestly. You had two of the best tight ends get set and paid for the rest of their lives, right? Like Like two tight ends in one day, by the way, yesterday. We were on the air when George Kittle got extended, right. and then Travis Kelsey got extended, what, like half hour after we were done? I guess there is money to go around for tight ends. Yeah, absolutely is. And it doesn't mean that you have to pay that price, though, for them, because those guys are going to go in the second and third round, probably respectively, in most of your drafts. And unless you have a really great knowledge of the player pool, it can be very tricky to take one of those tight ends. Yes, they are an advantage at the position, but there might also be some other names later on. Guys like Blake Jarwin, who, you know, now that Jason Witten's gone, we're talking about 124 targets last year from the Cowboys to the tight end position. So he's not going to get all 124 of those again, but can he get 90 of them? Very possibly. And if so, that's a guy who could be a late round value. And Andrew does a great job of always targeting some guys like that and some other uh, you know, analyzation of uh, small sample size too, and a few other great things here. And he is definitely one of my favorite young analysts out there. And it's great that we uh, got to speak with him again this week. Yeah, we did. And guess what? Pro football focus in terms of analytics is right up there. And as far as football is concerned with any of the other websites, they do a fantastic job. And as uh, Joe mentioned, a uh, conversation with Andrew Erickson is forthcoming. So you want to stay tuned to that. And we're going to have it right now for you. Here is Joe and Andrew breaking down fantasy football. Don't go away. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid. And it's fantasy football time. And when I think about fantasy football, I think of young rising stars. And we've got another one for you, too. It's one of my good friends from Pro Football Focus. He's one of the full-time fantasy folks over there. Couldn't be a nicer guy. I don't know what Harry Potter house he's in. We already talked about that before uh, he came on air. We'll find that out as well. That's a tease. But in the meantime, we'll get to some fantasy football first. So, Andrew Erickson, welcome back to the show, my friend. How's it going? What's up, Joe? Thanks for having me on. And I'm definitely a Gryffindor. That's oh, my, that's my house. Look at, you're, I'm a Slytherin, could you tell? 
Could you tell? <laughs> of course, of course. What else? But that's why we get along. There's like a good give and take there, the light and the dark and all that stuff. All right, so let's get at it. Obviously, over the weekend, the Washington football team uh, made uh, some moves here, uh, including um, letting go of Darius Geis uh, due to domestic violence issue. And uh, good on them and uh, good on the organization because clearly they have a lot of work to do to remake that organization. But from a fantasy perspective now, this puts us in a precarious situation. So, Andrew, is it as easy as saying, well, everything just defaults to the old guard of Adrian Peterson? Or are we possibly looking at uh, one of the, you know, the rookie here or somebody else stepping up? Is it Gibson? Is it somebody else stepping up into this void sooner than later to unseat Adrian Peterson? Yeah, so for right now, it looks like Adrian Peterson is going to be the main guy. I don't know if we've really seen anybody unseat unseat Adrian Peterson at this point. You look at the last two seasons, he has almost 500 touches in the last two seasons, which is ranked top 10, and he's entering his age 35 season. So it's going to be a tough t- task for you know a rookie to come in who has 77 touches you know on his career resume in college. Obviously, he was super productive with the op- limited opportunities that he had. He essentially broke ha- he broke like a tackle basically on every single touch he had. So or er- about half the touches he had in college. So I think that Gibson has a lot of upside. But I think that in doing my research, talking about the Washington team, basically the running backs coach said he's like Clay when it comes to the running back position. So he's definitely not like, ready to go. 20 attempts a game, that's not right. going to happen. It's going to take some time. He kind of profiles somewhat as a gadget player. And a lot of times we think that, oh, they're going to have a great package. He's going to be amazing. But it's usually very limited. So I'm not going to necessarily go go into the Gibson pool and be, hey, this isn't going to be the main guy. I do think that he's interesting sleeper appeal later in drafts. But I actually think that Bryce Love is actually pretty interesting as well. He's the former Stanford back, mm-hmm. missed all of last season with an injury. He was a Heisman candidate back in 2017, and his skill set is a full three-down workload type of back. So if anything would happen to Peterson, I would almost assume that Love would take on more of the overall carries. And then obviously you'd see like a Peyton Barber working as well. But at this point, Peyton Barber is pretty much dust. His numbers are terrible. Right. So I would take I think that entering like leaving drafts, I think taking a shot on Gibson is, is good as long as his ADP doesn't get too high. But I think Bryce Love as like a last pick in like a best ball or something or just in any right. draft that's like deeper, especially with rosters expanding this year. I think Bryce Love is interesting for sure. Yeah. And that's the whole thing I keep making. The point is that if Antonio Gibson is continues to be suppressed ADP, that's fine. But I feel like what people want to do is just take the new guy and just automatically anoint him. And I think that's kind of dangerous here because especially in the first six weeks of the season, it would feel like. AP would probably be the default guy and not that he is super exciting from a fantasy standpoint, but we're always looking for volume and you know, you're going to need all the bodies you can get as always. Cause it's fantasy football. So I definitely agree with your approach there. And love is an interesting name too. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about him, but you're right. That's a great other name to pay attention to in best ball, especially uh, let, let's chat about the tight end position too. I know you've got a new piece out there on PFF regarding the tight end position. And I'm curious what your approach is going into it, because I know we have that, Travis Kelsey, I always say like an elite tier by himself. Then we've got Ertz and and Kittle. And then I feel like after that, it's that soft middle that we like with the Darren Wallers of the world and Mark Andrews. But is there an approach where you would prefer to wait on tight end or are you somebody that's a little bit more aggressive at the position in order to get a little bit of an advantage at that position or roster spot? 
Yeah, I'm not so much into the soft middles. You know, I'm really looking for those abs, Joe. That's oh, <laughs> I love the soft middle, baby. The soft middle's where it's at. You're totally wrong. You'll see someday. You'll see. So, so the way I look at the tight end position, it's you're either all the way in with one of the elite guys, right? George Kittle's, Travis Kelsey's. I like Mark Andrews as well. I think that he is kind of in that tier of players. And then after that, I'm basically kind of punting the position going into the later rounds and taking a couple stabs at some of these later guys. There's a lot of guys I like a lot late. Mm-hmm. Johnny Smith is probably my favorite one. It's funny because you ask anybody, oh, who's your favorite tight end breakout? And they'll list up like 10 guys. So that doesn't help a lot of people. It's like, all right, well, if I'd well, like- It doesn't help in the one. sense that you could get more than one. See, because I, I'm more like you. I'd rather just wait and then just take a shot on two guys. And some people say, well, I don't want to have two tight ends in my roster. And I say, well, why not? Because if last year you took a shot on a tight end and one of them was Darren Waller and one was some other jabroni and the jabroni stunk, you ended up with a, a true tight end one. So why not early on take that kind of shot early on in a draft and say, you know what? I, I'm going to go and take two guys and then see how the, the first few weeks of the season play out here. Do you think that's an approach where you can get behind because there are so many names like the Hayden Hursts and like Noah Fant and Johnny Smith? Do you think that's like actually viable this year? Yeah, I definitely think so, especially with the predict, you know, looking at the season, there's probably going to be guys at this time. That's why it's it's kind of scary to invest so much into the tight end position, because if that position like blows up, you could be, you know, you might be screwed. So especially investing all that draft capital, and it's not the fact that, oh, I can't replace them. It's like it's oh, my God, I just missed out on a running back at this position. I didn't take, you know, a top tier wide receiver, or a top tier running back because it's tough to find those other positions later in the draft for sure. So. I like going with the tight end position. It's basically George Kittle for me in the elite tier. Mm-hmm. I just think that his opportunity with no Debo Samuel early on, right. Jimmy Garoppolo has a really favorable schedule. And I actually looked at, it's actually interesting. If you look at George Kittle's numbers last year, four of his five touchdown scores last year, even though he got a bunch of them called back because of penalties, right. four of his four of his five touchdowns last year came with Debo Samuel not on the field. Mm. So that's an interesting nugget for, for those out there. I, I think that's, pretty indicative of his performance and what it could potentially be without Debo Samuel during the beginning of the season. I think it's going to be Garoppolo just like completely setting up George Kittle for success. Cause I just don't think, you know, I mean, I'm not, well, a not a lot of options I'm not, there. I'm not a Jordan Reed believer. Just, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> I, I, I think that's safe to say. I think you're safe there, but you're right. There's not a lot of options. You got the rookie and Ayuk. you got Kendrick Bourne, but you know, I mean, Debo is, is a, is a great talent. I'm a big fan of his, but you make a great point. If, if he's not there, then it's a good chance that Kittle sees a little bit more, especially in the red zone potentially as well. Now, now what is it about Johnny Smith so much that makes him the buzz name for you? Because it is one of these guys that every analyst is talking about. And, you know, we, we've also all talked about the Trey Burtons of the world, too. So what makes Johnny Smith different here in this approach in 2020 that he can actually live up to some of the hype that he's getting this offseason? So I looked at a lot of different numbers and metrics in terms of, you know, how can I identify the breakout tight end, such as, you know, their opportunity, you know, where do they rank in the pecking order in terms of target share? Do they make their plays after the catch? Do they get targeted downfield? And all of those categories, John Smith kind of checks off the boxes, you know, looking at, okay, AJ Brown is there, but that's really it. He's a yards after the catch monster. He can mm-hmm. make plays with the ball in his hand. You don't, he's not necessarily dependent on Ryan Tannehill going down the field. He can make plays with the ball in his hand. Corey Davis is on the pup list. So I just don't see another receiver necessarily emerging here. And the other thing as well, tight ends and running backs, I've done a study on PFF, basically their targets are negatively correlated to one another. 
what what running back doesn't catch passes? Derrick Henry. So so that's one of the things I pinpoint, like where a guy like Noah Fant, okay, right. he had he has like tons of running backs in right. the backfield that have that catch targets and, and catch passes. And and one of the biggest things as well is Tannehill was super successful play action last year. Mm-hmm. Play action. Don't throw the ball to the running back on play action. <laughs> it also looks really weird. It certainly does. You're not wrong about that. <laughs> Listen, I know so, we have a couple of minutes left too, and I, I want to hit uh, one more thing because you got a great piece up on PFF about this, which is sample size. And when you have a small sample size from a previous year, sometimes it can really be a fantasy boon, and sometimes it can be a fantasy bust. So, what sort of sample sizes were you looking at that you think might be leading people down the wrong path and by the, you know, possibly becoming a value as well based on what you saw in a small sample size last year? So the biggest one I will look at was Matthew Stafford. And basically anytime anyone talks about Matthew Stafford, they're like, oh, like career numbers on un- unreal production. <laughs> and I listened to that. I'm like, yeah, that's what it was. But everyone is just kind of carrying over what he did into this year. You know, he's going as a quarterback 12, which it's not an egregious price, but he only played half of the season, whereas everybody's basically punting off Ryan Tannehill, who played for 14 games and was better. So everyone screams regression when it comes to Tannehill. But with Stafford, everyone just kind of, oh, well, he'll continue it. No, he'll continue to be a great quarterback because we've seen him longer. And I just I just don't think I think that you need to. If you're going to tell a regression with one of them, you need to do with the other one. So I think that Matthew Stafford is someone that's interesting. And that's also that kind of brings up Marvin Jones as well. People talk about his touchdowns, but he's done this so many times. He's had three seasons where he's had at least nine touchdowns. Next season, his touchdowns drop by 50 percent mm-hmm. every single year, every single yeah. year. So I just like I'm not into Marvin Jones. I think that he's kind of like a deteriorating asset anyway. I like Hawkinson. I think that Hawkinson will actually kind of emerge as that number two receiver. I mean, Marvin Jones has been banged up the last two years, and he's 30, man. So, I mean, he's going in a similar range of like a Will Fuller, and I'm all about buying all the Will Fuller that I can with with the, with uh, the outshot. Uh, that's, that, that's such a tough thing. You know what, Len? And, and I'm kind of with you there on it, and it's almost like you hate yourself for doing it. Because you you know the downside, like you know the injuries are coming, you know it's Will Ford, but you look around and there's just nobody out there. And Will Ford, when he's on the field, he's been efficient and he's got a good rapport with Watson. So uh, small sample size is pretty much Will Fuller's nickname. I can tell you that much. <laughs> like that, he is the king of small sample size, and and Andrew is the king of fantasy. So if you go over to Pro Football Focus, make sure you go follow him on Twitter as well at Andrew Erickson underscore some great stuff there again about the tight ends he's got up there. He's also got some great stuff about these small sample sizes that is really important football. Hey, we're getting closer and closer, my friend. I'm very excited. I'm glad you can make it back on the show. And uh, I hope to be in some drafts with you this year because I don't I haven't been in one and I don't know what that's all about. Not even a mock. What's going on? What's up with that? I mean, you just got to step up your game, man. You got to play some real competition. Oh, there's a belt behind me that says, I know what I'm doing, my friend. I don't don't see your belt back there. I see a Brady jersey, though, which I I do enjoy. You know that. All right, Andrew, great stuff as always. We'll talk to you soon, brother. We're going to hit a break. More fantasy sports today right here on Sports Grid right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
Welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today with you here on Sports Grid. we got a lot coming up in hour number two. We're going to talk about the huge night for Mookie Betts of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Also, a preview of the big NASCAR race coming up for the weekend. Can anybody dethrone Kevin Harvick and his car? Matt Sells will tell us a little bit later in the show as well. Uh, but Joe, a full slate of DFS action, of course, coming up tonight. It is Friday night. And there's a chance tomorrow everybody will be back on the field in baseball. We're almost there. Maybe the Cardinals, all the 41 cars drove down or drove up or drove down, drove down to Chicago. So hopefully we'll have everybody tomorrow, but we're focused in on tonight. So let's go ahead and help people out for yeah, absolutely. Let, don't jinx it. Let's hope we get a full slate. That'd be amazing. Uh, but yeah, tonight, this might surprise people with DeGrom and Garrett Cole on the slate, but I'll tell you, I prefer Sonny Gray. He's at home. DeGrom's on the road. And, and yes, Garrett Cole was all world, but that Red Sox lineup is always formidable. I, I just like the matchup at home for Sonny Gray against the Pirates. I'm just going to try to target the Pirates here. And plus, it's a little bit different ownership, too. If Cole or DeGrom should struggle, all of a sudden, that's a huge swing for a lot of people. And Sonny Gray could really put up a good start here. Uh, Frankie Montas at night against San Francisco, 8.8 on FanDuel. I don't know how you don't love this. Uh, he's going against Johnny Cueto. It's a fantastic uh, price for him. You always get really friendly pricing in these night games and late games here on the West Coast on FanDuel. They're trying to encourage you to play more. So you can even isolate this if you want. Take some variables out of it and just go with Frankie Montas in this one if you like and also big bat to pay up for guys making a debut his second start of his career first in colorado joey gallo is a bat to pay up for and Eugenio suarez is uh falling all the way to 2.9 under 3k for a talent that good yes please all that power potential suarez is going to get right eventually here and i think it might even start this evening well, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, look, I mean, for me, when I look at Suarez, I look at a guy that priced at 2,900. At some point, this guy is yep. going to cash in on. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but I was a huge Suarez fan. And then, of course, he got hurt. He had that issue with his shoulder, and he just hasn't looked like the guy yet. But I think he will eventually, and I think that's uh, hopefully a good call uh, for tonight for sure. And the, the Pirates, of course, are just struggling so much in terms of hitting the ball and pitching and doing everything else. Uh, Sonny Gray is really just figured out how to pitch and pitch again in uh, Cincinnati or in Pittsburgh. I like him tonight as well. Uh, we'll be back with more fantasy sports today in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.